All right, let's jump right in. So we're in Luke chapter 19, I mean chapter 16, and we'll start reading verse 19 on. So here's what it says. It says, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all of this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may, may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So here we have this story. We have this rich man, and we have Lazarus. And again, uh, there is some definite contrast going on within this story. And, and the, the reversal of fortunes, the reversal of, of who they are, the reversal of what they have and, and whom they're with. And, uh, and, and so it, we're going to use this story to illuminate a little bit about uh, the truth between uh, the, or the difference between heaven and hell. And, and uh, the thing with this story is interesting is that uh, this is the only parable in Scripture that a person is given a name, which is Lazarus. However, Lazarus is not the main character of this parable, it seems. The main character of this parable would be the rich man. Again, Jesus is addressing the heart of the Pharisees, and this rich man fit the description of what Jesus was dealing with. So here is the main character. This main character has no name. But there's great detail given about him. Yet the poor man that doesn't have much is given a name. You see, the rich man had his clothes. He had his feast. He had his uh, sitting with dignitaries and politicians more than likely because of his wealth, because of his stature. He was, he was in the social circle that, that most people would would strive to be a part, a part of, but that's not the only thing. See, here's, here's what's even scarier, is that this man was probably a religious man. Again, Jesus is addressing the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were re religious people. However, they had a false sense of security, and that false sense of security was in their self-righteousness and not in God. So here, this man, who was more than likely a religious man, had his identity, but he had his identity, his identity through something else. And what was that identity? He had it in his wealth. He had it in his possessions. He had it in his lifestyle. He had it in the clothes that he was wearing. He had it in, in, in whom he may have feasted with. Yet the poor man, who didn't have any of that, did have an identity. 
See, I don't know if, if you know this, but the name Lazarus has a meaning. And so among Jews, among Jews the, name very, the name given to a person was very often, uh, very often described the character of that person or the person who bared it. So Lazarus, uh, the Greek name Lazarus is derived from two Hebrew words, which is El-Azar. El-Azar, which means God help. And shortened by, rabbi, by rabbis, it becomes Leazar, and where we end up getting Lazarus. So this gentleman, this poor man, was given an identity. He was given a name. He didn't have much, but his identity was in his name, and his, his name, through his name, we could see that he was, a God, he was a person who trusted God. He was a person who trusted God and not anything else. So even in the midst of his storms, even in the midst of his sickness, in the midst of not having anything, in the midst of, of, of wanting crumbs that fell from the table of a rich man, he still had his trust in God. So let's go back at verse 19. Let's read that again. It says, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and feasted sumptuously every day. Okay, so this was his everyday lifestyle. Every day, he wanted to be known. Every day, he was wearing this clothes. Every day, he was feasting uh, in such a way. His identity was, was what he would do. In verse 20, it said, And at his gate laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores. At his gate laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores. More, more than likely, uh, this Lazarus was crippled. He was paralyzed. People would have to come and drop him and place him there every single day. And he would be there uh, at the gate covered with his sores. Verse 21, who desires to be fed, who des whose desire was to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. I mean, just the differences that we see there in their lives. But the biggest difference that we see is, number one, this person was given a name, Lazarus, means God help. That would signify to us that this person was someone who put their trust in God and the other person had his, his trust, uh, his identity in something else. In verse 22, it says, The poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. So now we see a difference there. Now we see another contrast. Number one, this person who had his identity in, in, in God, his trust in God, dies and is carried by angels to the side of Abraham. This other person who had his identity and trust in his wealth and something other than God dies and he goes to a place called Hades or hell. That's the word Hades there is being, has been, is, is used in reference of hell. And uh, the word here, or the, the phrase Abraham's side, Abraham's bosom, uh, that was just a common way of, of Jewish people to, to, to explain a person being at the side of God, at the feet of his throne, or uh, in paradise. Uh, they knew that Abraham was a friend of God. They knew that Abraham wouldn't be in hell, that he would be at God's side. So that was just a common way for them to, uh, to describe being in, in heaven, paradise with God. So there we see a difference. And, and here's my first point is this. My first point is that my eternal destination is determined by whom my trust is in. My eternal destination is determined by whom my trust is in. Again, I'll just, just to recap that, you had Lazarus, whose name means God help. He was a person who was putting his trust in God. And furthermore, we see that he made it to heaven. So in order for him to have, make, to, to have gotten there, we know that his trust was in the Lord. Uh, but on the other hand, we had this rich person uh, who was putting, uh, who was 
getting his identity and his value from something other than, uh, than God and put his trust in other things than God. Now, uh, what I do want to say with that is that this is not, uh, you know, Jesus is not saying that being wealthy is wrong. Jesus is not saying that having riches is wrong. He's simply saying that when you find your identity in something other than God, that is wrong. What he's saying is when you put your trust in something else other than God, you're doomed. That's what he's saying. So this isn't a, an issue between the rich and the poor. This is an issue between those who trust God and those who don't. Those who have their identity in him and those who have their identity in something else. So this is not that, we're not saying that having riches in this world is wrong. What we are saying is that when we put our trust in those riches and not in God, then something's wrong. But that can happen uh, for those of us that are poor. Many times we want to put our trust in relationships. We want to put our trust uh, in, in, in our jobs or in our careers. And, and when, what, what happens when we, when, we are, 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 um, when we identify ourselves through our career, through our jobs, and through our relationships? What happens when those things falter? Our worlds crumble. They completely crumble because everything we're striving for and everything that, 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 that we think we are has just been taken away from us and we don't have any idea of what to do. So that's what's happened here with this rich man. He goes into this place and again, he has no name, but everything that he once had has been taken away from him. So it's, he's not seen that way anymore. So let's keep reading. Let's keep reading here. It says um, in verse 22, it says, I'm going to go back to verse 22. It says this, The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, again, another word for hell, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. So here's another thing that I want to point out here from what we're seeing from this passage and what we can gather from this passage, that at the moment that they both closed their eyes in this life and they died, uh, their eternity was, was determined. At the moment they close their eyes, or at the moment they gave their last breath, right, the angels come for Lazarus and they take him to Abraham's side. Of the rich man, it says that he opened his eyes and he was in Hades being in torment. And he lifted up his eyes and, and, uh, and he saw Abraham with Lazarus at his side. See, there, there's, no, there, there's no soul sleep. There's no purgatory. It's simply heaven or hell. At the moment that we give our last breath here on this earth, our, our eternity has been determined. It's, it's been set. And so my second point for today is this, is that my eternity begins immediately after death. It begins immediately after death. Again, there's no, there's no in-between. There's no soul sleep. There's no purgatory. Simply, you died, and if you trusted Christ, if you trusted Christ, then you will be in heaven. If you die and you had your trust in something else, you won't be in heaven. You will be in hell. And that's what we see there. And that was something that seems to be uh, something that happened immediately and in a conscious state. I mean, the rich man looks up and he sees and he knows what's going on. He sees, uh, he sees Lazarus at the side of Abraham. So let's keep reading here. Verse 24, And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in the water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like, in like manner received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. Now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. So again, the, role, the, 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 the roles were a little reversed here. The fortunes were reversed. Now uh, the, 
Lazarus was, was, was being tormented here on this earth. He was, he was in anguish. He was in pain. He was sick. He didn't have. He was in lack. He was in need. The rich man had everything, but at the moment that they entered their eternity, now it changed. Now uh, the, the Lazarus is, doesn't, isn't in need anymore. Lazarus is in the presence of Abraham. Lazarus is feeding, and the, the rich man is in anguish, and he's seeking for a drip, just a drop, just a drop. Of relief, uh, of relief. There was a conscious understanding by both people of where they were. Again, Lazarus is in heaven. The rich man is in hell without relationships or in torment. And so there is no relief in hell. That there is. There isn't any at all. You know, and it's interesting because the rich man is, is still even blinded by his own sin and his own selfishness and his own his own thought of, of, of being this person. I mean, if you look at the story, he says, he says, send Lazarus to dip his finger in the water and come and cool my tongue. He still had a, a sort of a deluded uh, mentality. He, he was still thinking the wrong way. I mean, he still thought that he could boss Lazarus around. He thought Lazarus would, would be some kind of a servant for him. Send him to come, dip his, water, his finger in the water and cool my tongue. I mean, this man is in, is in hell. He is in torment. He is in anguish. And the only thing he can ask for is relief. Why wouldn't he have asked for salvation? Why wouldn't he have asked to be saved and rescued from this place? You see, one of the things that happens with sin and with, is, that comes through sin or, or addictions is we know one of the things that comes through that is denial. Is denial. We lie. We isolate ourselves. No one understands us. We don't need anyone's help. We can do this on our own. This gentleman was still struggling with his own sin. Hell is not a place, uh, is not a place that's going to that's gonna fix you. It's not a remedial place. Hell is a place where we, we spend eternity dealing and being tormented by our own sins every single day. And this person, this rich man, he fought he was still blinded by his sin. He was still blinded by his own selfishness, by his greed, by his self-righteousness. He was blinded by who he thought he was. Another thing that we see here is that he's, he's by himself. Lazarus is at the side of, of Abraham. Another thing that we can see and get, gather from this passage is, is once eternity is set, there's no getting out. There's, there's no getting out. It is what it is. No one can pray you into heaven. Once your eternity is set, once we give our last breath, we are where we are, and that's, that's final. And we see that here in this passage. And in verse 25, I'm sorry, in 26, Abraham says to Lazarus, he says, and besides all of this between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. It's fixed. It's done. It's set. It's done. Another thing that, that, that we gather from, um, from, from this is, is that there's no relief at all. Again, we just mentioned there's no relief at all. This gentleman was looking for something, and there's no relief. And, and what, is he, what is he looking for? Why is he looking for relief? What, what, what did he say? He said, I'm in anguish in this flame. Again, we, we could take that literally or we could take that metaphorically. Whatever it may be, this person was being tormented. He was in dire need and he couldn't find any relief at all. At all. 
so when we think of hell and we see this, I mean, some of the, some of the, some of the things that we can learn and that we do know Scripture talks about from hell is that this is number one is hell is, is eternal. And we just said that. Hell is eternal. Once you're there, you're there. Matthew 25, 46 says this. It says that in, in these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So if we have eternal life for the righteous, for those that are unrighteous, there is eternal punishment. There is eternal destruction. This is a place, again, it's fixed, it's done. It's fixed and it's done. Another thing that we can gather from, from Scripture is, is, um, is, is that there is internal and external suffering. Mark 9.48, Mark 9.48 says this, says, and if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It, it is better for you to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes and thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now there's some other things underneath that, that Jesus is saying with this, but what we can see here from this parable is that this person was still, he was still in denial. He was still struggling with his own sin. He was being consumed by it. There is an inner, there is an, an internal suffering that's going on for him. He's being tormented by his sin. There's an external suffering that we see. The fire is not going to be quenched. And Jesus here is quoting out of the book of Isaiah, where their worms, where their worm will not die and the fire is not quenched. Internal and external suffering. Another thing that we see is that hell is void of the presence of God. We could go to 2 Thessalonians and here's what it says in, verse, in chapter 1, verse 9. It says, And they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Away from the presence of the Lord. That means, that means God isn't present in hell. God is not present there. What's interesting is, is God is good. Everything that's good comes from God. You know, a couple of the things that we see, again, is that Lazarus is in fellowship. The rich man is not. Randy Alcorn, in his book, Heaven, he says this about hell. He says that it's, it's, it's like solitary confinement. It's solitary confinement for an eternity. Why? Because God is not present. In, he's not present in hell. Relationship and community comes from his triune nature. If his triune nature is not present in hell, then in hell, it's you're on your own. It's solitary confinement. You're, you are on your own. You spend eternity being, uh, being completely tormented, consumed by your own sins, knowing that there was a better option and you didn't take it, and on your own completely for eternity. On your own. If you asked anyone today, what is your greatest fear? Most people's response to that is being alone. I mean, even in this life, we can see the hurt and the pain and the destruction that happens when a person chooses to live on their own. When you're alone, it is hard to deal with this world. When you're alone, it is hard to deal with the trials and tribulations and, and, and the hurt that, that, is, that exists in this world. It is tough. 
And the great thing for us believers is that God didn't call us to live in solitary confinement. He didn't call us to live this, this life in, 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 in an individualistic way. He didn't call us to live for the rest of eternity on our own. No, he called us to live in fellowship. He called us to live in relationships, in community. That's what he called us to live in. He called us to, to live together, to be together, to seek the will of God together, to spread the gospel together, to love one another, to help one another, not to torment one another. That's who we are. We are called to live as a body. We are called to love one another. We are called to live in community and fellowship with each other. However, we see that without God, that truth is by its, it's, it's completely done away with. It's no longer there. That's what it's, that's just a little bit of, of what hell is like. Let's keep reading here. Let's go to verse, um, verse 27. And here's the rich man, and he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear, hear them. So here he is. He's in anguish, right? He's in torment. He's, he's struggling. He, he, he's really not enjoying the place he's in. It's not an enjoyable place. Uh, and he tells Abraham, he says, uh, send him. Send Lazarus back to, to, my, to my father's house. Send him, lest my brothers experience this place as well. And, and what does Abraham say? He says, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them, let them hear them. Let them hear them. And here's what he's saying is, 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 is this gentleman, again, completely, com completely blind to his sin, completely blind to, to what's consuming him. Again, he's still trying to order Lazarus around. Well, tell Lazarus to come back from the dead and show up to my brothers. He's going to scare them into repenting. They won't come and suffer here. But what does Abraham say? He says, no, they have Moses and the prophets. And what is he saying? He's saying they have the word of God. The word of God. The word of God is what changes our hearts. The word of God that shows us, that unveils to us the great love that the Father has for us is what changes our hearts. But this person was blinded from that. And he thought, no, if you give them a sign, they sure will repent. And as we keep reading in verse 30, it says, and he said, no, Father Abraham. Now, can you, I mean, how blind do you have to be? You're arguing with Abraham. No, God didn't give me enough information. No, Moses and the prophets isn't enough. No, the word of God isn't enough. You got to send a sign. You got to send a sign. That's what he says here. He says, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And again, this is Abraham's response. He said, he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Nothing will convince us but the love of God. Nothing changes the, 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 the brokenness of humanity in our heart but the love of God and the gospel of Christ. Not even a sign and a wonder. No matter how many signs we see, no matter how many miracles we see, what changes our hearts is not that. What changes our hearts is the truth of the word of God, which is the gospel of our Lord Jesus, that he came and he died on a cross and he took the wrath of God for you and me so that we wouldn't have to experience this place called hell. That's what changes our hearts. But the man thought, no, give them a sign. He, he turned into an evangelist. He wanted to spread the gospel. 
However, he wanted to do it in his own way and not in the right way. Scripture says that we're saved by hearing, hearing the word of God. But it's because of this, it's the word of God. God uses this to change our hearts, to see who he is, to put our trust in his son, Jesus. And Abraham said, no, that won't even convince them. And here's, here's the thing is, is there was a, he, he was, after this, Jesus even raised Lazarus from the dead, a, a real man, someone named Lazarus, raised him from the dead. And what happened? That the Pharisees bowed down, that the Pharisees, uh, that, that they prayed to him, that they say, oh, you are the Messiah. Did they come to believe and understand and trust in who he was? No. They saw the sign. They saw the miracle that they were asking for, and they chose to persecute Christ even more. But there was even a greater example of a resurrection. That was of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus dies, he's buried, and he resurrects on the third day. And do these people believe? No. See, a sign and a wonder is not going to change our hearts. It's not going to change their hearts. It's simply the word of God and the Holy Spirit at work in their hearts and, and through us in order to bring forth the light, which is the gospel of Christ. And when people begin to understand what happened at Calvary, then they begin to realize how much God loves us. And they begin to turn and they repent and they put their trust in Christ and they forget about everything else. You see, my last point of today is this, is that is the reality of hell should cause me to want to share the gospel with those around me. The reality of hell should cause me to want to share the gospel with those around me. This man was in anguish. This man was in torment. And somehow, some way, he wanted his family to, 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 to have a change of mind, but he was doing it the wrong way. He was being consumed by his sins, so he kept thinking, no, this way is right, this way is right. But you and I who know the truth, you and I who have the full revealed word of God, who have the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that there is such a place as hell and that everyone, everyone that's born into this world is on a fast lane to hell, Knowing that, our, our duty and our heart should be moved to want to share the gospel with everyone that's around us. If we have family members who haven't put their trust in Christ, it's sharing it with them. If we have neighbors, it's sharing it with them. It's being the love of God in this community. It's being the love of God in someone who needs a different hope, who needs a true hope, who needs the truth of, of salvation who needs to understand that they are in desperate need of a savior as, as Paul taught us in Romans chapters one through three. We are in desperate need of a savior, every single one of us. And so understanding that there is this place, that hell is real, understanding that should move us to want, us to, to, want to share the, the gospel even more. But see, then that great question, the question everyone has, the argument everyone tries uh, to, to use against God is, is this, is how can you reconcile the concept of judgment in hell with a loving God? Well, see, the gospel completely diffuses that because within the gospel, we see that there is a God who would rather spend eternity with you, that he would go and experience hell so that we could be there with him. We have a God that's not sitting back and sitting idle and allowing us to perish in our own sin. But we have a Savior who sees the wrath of God coming for us. 
And he sees it like a tidal wave because the righteous, nothing will ever be, will be able to withstand this righteous wrath that's coming from the Father. And Jesus saw that. And Jesus saw that. And as a matter of fact, in, in the book of Romans chapter 5, it says, but God shows us his love, he shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. This wrath was coming to consume us all. But Jesus decided, and the Father decided, that his son would come and be sacrificed so that the wrath that was intended for you and me would be poured out on him. And so Jesus came to this world, and Jesus lived his righteous life, and Jesus fulfilled the law, and he did everything right. But he still bore a cross. And at that moment where he says, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? He was experiencing that hell. He was experiencing that hell apart from his father being consumed by our sins, not his. So that we wouldn't have to experience an eternity without him. You see, he loved us so much that he would rather experience that hell than spend eternity without you and me. So don't tell me that you can't reconcile a loving God with this place of judgment in hell because he put his son through it. That's love. How much greater of an example do we have of love than that of what God did for us through his son, Jesus? Is this place real? Yes. Will people experience it? Yes, unfortunately. It is only by putting our trust in a loving Savior that saves us from that place. See, having said that, I, I don't live or aspire to live my life to please God so that I can not experience hell. That would be a very selfish way of living. Church, which should move us to live in righteousness, which should move us to live in obedience. It's not a fear of some place that we can experience for eternity. It's the love that's shown before us. And by seeing that love, our response is then that we move forward in obedience to God, that we move forward with giving this love to those that are around us that are in need of it. We are moved to share the gospel. We are moved to give. We are moved to love. because of his love for us, because of fear of where I'll go. I'm sure that might be a little piece of it, but the greater piece of it is his love for me. It should be his love for you. And so as we continue this series and getting to see the great things that, that we will experience in heaven, We couldn't move forward without 
having spoken about the truth of hell. And now that we see this, and now we understand how the gospel connects with it, and then how it only magnifies the love of God, it doesn't diminish it, it magnifies it. Ironically, when we, when we want to take hell out of the picture, what we do is we diminish God's love. But when hell's in the picture, it magnifies it because Jesus experienced it for you and me. But when we do that, we can teach people and show people and give people this love that has been given to us. See, this man wanted a sign for his family, but the truth is the sign wouldn't change their hearts. The only thing that will change the hearts of anyone is that great love that we have experienced in God through the gospel of his son, Jesus. So as a church, as we're moving forward and we're, we're learning about all of this together, let's move out together. Let's share this truth with others. Let's share the, the good news of Christ with others. And hopefully bring them to the feet of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we... We're so humbled that here today we can stand, we can sit together, we can break open this book and we can read and learn about what you have intended for us, your sons and daughters, those of us who put our trust in you. And Father, not only that, but by doing so, we can also see just how much you love us, even through the truth and through the doctrine of hell. We can see how much you love us through this truth. So we thank you for that. And Father, our, our prayer, my prayer today is that our hearts would be turned to you. Our hearts would be turned to your son, Jesus. And if there's anyone here today who hadn't been able to answer that question, how do you reconcile eternal judgment with a loving God? Well, Father, I pray that their hearts were open today, their ears were open, their eyes were open to see that, that even in that, you have shown just how much you love us. And Father, that they might put their trust in your son, Jesus, for the forgiveness of their sins, that they would be made righteous in your eyes through his righteousness. I pray all of these things in his mighty name. Amen.